Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, Reimagining Love listeners. I have a special announcement. The brand new Reimagining Love Workbook, Volume 1, is now on sale on my website. You know, when I set out to create this podcast, I knew that I wanted the lessons and the insights from the episodes to feel tangible and immediately applicable to you and your relationships. As a couples therapist, I've seen time and time again that improving your relationships and your relationship with yourself takes effort and intention and time. We need strategies, we need practices that we can play with, as well as structured spaces to reflect And sometimes the best way to do this is to put pen to paper, to see what's going on inside of our minds and inside of our hearts. So I decided that I would create companion worksheets for all of the solo deep dive episodes of Reimagining Love. These worksheets contain tables to fill out, relational self-awareness questions to answer, and reflection exercises, all tied to the topic of the episode. And these worksheets have been available to listeners through my newsletter as the corresponding episodes have aired. And now I've updated all of them and we've compiled them into this downloadable, easy to use workbook so that you can conveniently access them all in one place. And at the end of the workbook, you're going to find a glossary of the therapeutic terms that I frequently use, as well as a list of all the podcast episodes thus far organized by topic in case you're seeking support in a particular area at a particular moment. So if you're ready to dive deeper into your relational self-awareness work, click the link in the show notes or head to dralexandrasolomoncom slash RL Workbook to purchase this amazing bundle of resources, which you can use individually or with your partner. Welcome back to this month's solo deep dive series, all about early stage dating. Part one of our series was called Why You're Frustrated with Dating Apps. Part two was 12 Strategies for Swiping with Relational Self-Awareness. And today, part three is all about first dates, about how to bring relational self-awareness to your first dates. So if you're in the world of dating, I know this episode is going to be relevant for you, but I'm going to venture out there and say that this episode is also relevant to your family and your friends. Going on first dates, opening up to new people is an incredibly vulnerable process. And so I want daters to feel like they have a solid crew around them that's ready, willing, and able to cheer them on, to listen to them without judgment 
and to commiserate, of course, when and if they start to feel frustrated. So I think this episode is going to be important for all of us to dive into. I'm going to make the case in this episode that in addition to a rockin' outfit that you feel great in, (laughs) positive energy, and your fantastic smile, I think that relational self-awareness is the very best accessory that you can bring with you on your first date. And I'm going to walk you through how relational self-awareness can serve you before you go on a first date, during your first date, and when you get home from a first date. In fact, I am so nerdy about the importance of relational self-awareness on a first date that I have developed, yes, the first date data worksheet. Mm-hmm. The first date data worksheet. It's already being used by lots of people all over the world because I've been sharing it at workshops for therapists and in some other formats for I don't know, probably about a year now. But this is the first time that I have talked about it here with you on Reimagining Love. It's a worksheet designed to help you make sense of what you are thinking, feeling, and sensing, like sensing in your body before, during, and after. And if you are a newsletter subscriber, you will get a copy of the First Date Data worksheet in your inbox. And if you would like to join the newsletter, head to dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe, and you will get a copy of the worksheet that way. This worksheet is also available in our brand new Reimagining Love Workbook Volume 1. This downloadable workbook includes all of the worksheets that we've been developing over the first year and a half of the Reimagining Love show, which means that you're going to get almost 60 pages of resources that are designed to support you in all stages of relationship development and as you face any number of relational challenges and complexities. And so that new workbook, the Reimagining Love Workbook Volume 1, does include the First Date Data Worksheet. And you can purchase your copy at dralexandrasolomon.com slash rlworkbook. Okay, so I want to first share a real-life dating story with you. My team was able to connect with someone who went on a first date last week and who used the first date data worksheet. And she was generous enough to share her experience of answering the relational self-awareness questions that she found on the worksheet. And here's what she said, quote, I'm so glad I had this worksheet as a tool pre and post first date. Normally, I quote chameleon myself a bit to match the personality of the person I'm dating. But this time, I tried to refer back to the values that I had set out while reflecting pre date. Specifically, it's really important to me that I feel energized by a new person. Unfortunately, I did not feel that with my date. In fact, I felt really drained. And I wanted the date to be over sooner than it was. Normally, I would have given her the benefit of the doubt and I would have gone on a second date. But looking back at my reflections, it was very clear that I just did not enjoy myself while spending time with her. Not only that, I felt disconnected from this person who was right in front of me, which didn't align with my value of feeling connected. 
So I decided to reach out to her and be kindly honest about how I was feeling. I wouldn't have had the self-awareness to process this date without this reflection process. So thank you. End quote. Ugh, I love that so much. You know, (laughs) my team and I were so excited to hear from her and her feedback made us that much more excited to get this episode out into the world. I really want to make sure that you have what you need to date with a sense of groundedness and empowerment. So my hope with this worksheet and with this episode is you're going to trust yourself even more and create dialogue inside of yourself about how you show up on a date and to better understand specifically the kinds of hopes and fears that you're carrying in to a date with you that may end up coloring your perception of the other person and of yourself. So in our volunteers case, It sounds like she was used to going into a sort of people-pleasing mode, or in her words, chameleoning, to match the energy of the person she was on a date with, rather than showing up as her authentic self and feeling comfortable enough to do so. And the first date data worksheet helped her identify that tendency to adapt herself to someone else's energy and get clearer on the ways in which that blocked her ability to make observations about her own body, how her own body was actually feeling. She had been struggling to get a sense of the dynamic between herself and her date, which makes so much sense, right? Because it wasn't really a dynamic so much as it was a process of her subtly mirroring, of her subtly becoming who she thought her date needed and wanted her to be. So I love that she had that aha moment by doing the work of the worksheet. I'm really excited and hopeful for her as she continues to step out of this sort of self-abandoning pattern that is incredibly common for so many people. All right, so let's get really concrete here about how you are going to bring relational self-awareness onto your first date. So there's three sections. We're going to talk about the before, the during, and the after. So let's dive into the before. Fun fact, I mentioned in our last episode that Match.com publishes annual data on dating behavior. And in their 2022 research, they found that more people than ever are wanting a serious relationship versus dating casually. And at the same time, 84%, which is the highest number ever, expressed a preference for a casual first date, including one that might be free or that might just involve coffee or drinks. And when I read this data, I had a couple of hypotheses, a couple of reasons that I think might be driving this kind of all-time high of people craving both, you know, seriousness in dating and casualness in a first date. First, I think to some degree, it reflects that high volume, low accountability dating pattern that I've touched on in, in this series. People are trending towards investing less and having a pretty low threshold for moving on. So it makes sense that people kind of want to, you know, a quick, simple, cheap first date because there's high volume, this sense of kind of urgency and endless availability. And so there's not a lot of investment, especially early on. Second, I think that just frankly, this trend reflects the challenges of dating during a time of inflation and stagnating wages, at least here in the U.S. 
and people wanting and needing to be mindful of spending, right? Dating is expensive. Dating can be expensive. So fine. And then third, I think especially for straight couples, a low or no cost date helps folks bypass a gendered power dynamic that comes up around who pays for what and then what that means. And I think that, frankly, we're going to need to come back and do a whole episode at some point unpacking the finances of dating, gender, money, and dating. So thank you, patriarchy, for making a hard thing harder. But if that is what helps people feel like there's much more clarity, like if you are not spending a lot on me or if we're splitting the bill, but it's a really like kind of low cost bill, if that just bypasses all of the subtle what is owed to whom, then I'm here for that. So I think with this trend of lower cost first dates paired with a seriousness and intentionality is pretty cool. I think that this approach opens the door to something that ends up having the potential to be more relational and more mutual and much less role-based, right? Meaning that each person is sort of playing the part that the culture has taught them to play. And I think that reducing or eliminating the financial part of a date invites you to focus your attention then on the dynamics, how you feel on the inside when you are sitting with this person and how the two of you seem to be playing off of each other versus getting lost in who's doing what for whom and how flashy it is or how impressive it is or how much effort has been put in. I think you can really focus a bit more on the dynamics. It also makes it more likely that your first date, therefore, is going to be something perhaps more experiential and activity-based, like a museum or an outdoor event or an outdoor concert or a hike, versus sitting across the table, eating and making conversation, which I think can be a little bit straining for people, just sitting still, sitting your body still maintaining eye contact and just having only conversation to fuel versus having an experience or an activity. I like this idea of triangulating in an experience and using that as a gateway to conversation versus sitting across the table and all you're doing is talking and there's the risk of it slipping into each of you interviewing the other person. I like that your bodies are moving if you're doing something like going to a street festival or a museum or on a walk. I like the idea of bodies being in motion because it tends to be easier for us to manage our anxiety when our bodies are moving versus that we're just kind of sitting still. So regardless of what your first date is going to be, I want you to consider that your first date begins long before you catch an Uber to an art fair or wherever you're going to head. And take a little bit of time to get yourself in the zone. Practicing a grounding activity of some kind in advance of a first date can help you show up more authentically, and it can help you tune in, kind of just arrive on the date with your unique brand of confidence, whatever that looks like for you. So here are a few options, a little menu of 
uh, pre-date activities that you can do. You could just connect with a friend or a family member who makes you laugh so that you feel a bit light and a bit easy as you go. You could tap into your creative side by engaging with a hobby or something creative that you love to do. Do a fun, energizing workout. Cook some delicious food for yourself. And finally, <laughs> here's a suggestion that comes from Regina Thomas-Hauer, who is um, also known as Mama Gina. She is the author of the really like bodacious, wonderful, bold 2018 book called Pussy. Mama Gina, one time, I think I read this in one of her newsletters, she described that before she goes on a date, she masturbates. And she does this to ensure that she's not showing up on a date feeling needy, like feeling a kind of emptiness inside that she's expecting somebody else to fulfill for her, like needy of somebody else's affection or needy of somebody else's touch to make her feel settled or complete or calm on the inside. So that way she shows up on the date with a sort of fullness and steadiness that helps her then discern the degree to which she's actually interested in connecting with this person versus she's actually just wanting to connect with this person as a means to an end. I thought that was a wonderful suggestion. Do with that exactly <laughs> what you wish. Bottom line here, it doesn't really matter what you do before a first date. What does matter is that you're creating a pathway for yourself to show up on the date feeling this both and of both solid on the inside and curious, feeling both confident on the inside and open, feeling both calm on the inside and energized. Yes, you are dating because you are looking to bring somebody into your life to create a partnership. And at the very same time, you have a full life right here, right now, today. You want, but do not need a partner. And the fact that you are interested in partnership does not mean that you are needy. It means you are open to the power of love. And so these pre-date grounding rituals are especially important for you. If you find yourself struggling with one or both of these incredibly common dating challenges, the first one is if you're someone who's at risk of blurring the line between I want to fall in love and ugh, I'm such a desperate person, then I want you to have ways that help you remember what's actually true. You are interested in partnership. You don't need partnership. But for some people, that desire to fall in love ends up feeling like it means that they have to fall in love or that they're needy or that they're desperate. So that pre-date grounding ritual can help you really like connect to the fact that no, you are choosing to do this. And second, if you're someone who's at risk of being cynical about dating, if there's a part of you that starts to say sometimes there are no good people out there, then doing something before a date that feels pleasurable to you can help you quiet that inner pessimist. And that inner pessimist, listen, I, I, I have reverence and respect for your inner pessimist. Your inner pessimist is a self-protective part of you. Your inner pessimist likely has data to support their case. 
either horror stories of your own from the dating world or horror stories from friends of yours from the dating world or from Twitter about the dating world. It's not hard to find data that supports the idea that cynicism and pessimism are your best bet. But your inner pessimist needs to go take a little nap while you go out and have this first date. If your inner pessimist is in the driver's seat on a first date, that part of you is going to look for proof of the belief that there are no good people out there. And because your date is imperfect, by definition, on account of the fact that your date is a person and all people are imperfect, your inner pessimist is going to find plenty of faults in this person. So this pre-date grounding ritual, whether it's a workout or a conversation with a friend, like whatever it does to help you feel tapped into joy, pleasure, ease, comfort is really helpful if you've got a little inner pessimist that you've got to figure out how to manage. Like, thank you for your service, inner pessimist, but you need to go take a nap while I go on this first date. Creating the conditions for you to feel good on the inside before a first date is important. It's going to help you manage your anxiety. Anxiety and dating are inextricably bound. Why? Because Dating is about sitting with uncertainty. It's about dancing with mystery. It's about tolerating the fact that there are variables beyond our control. And uncertainty generates anxiety. Imagine a bell-shaped curve. On the left side of that bell-shaped curve is you feeling flat and feeling dread. At the right side of the bell-shaped curve is you feeling panicked. I want you to hang out in the middle of that curve. The middle of that curve is alert, energized, present, like awake. A word I love here that captures the middle of that bell-shaped curve is the word nervited. (laughs) Nervous plus excited. I heard this word first from my friend, Dr. Sarah Nasserzadeh. You may have met her in episode 13 of Reimagining Love, but she says that she didn't coin the term nervited. But whenever I say nervited, I think of Dr. Sarah. Nervous plus excited. You get to feel both. Your nervous does not negate your excited, and your excited does not mean that you can't also be a little bit nervous. Finally, in terms of what you can do before a first date, you can journal a bit. Here are some relational self-awareness sentence completions that you also will find on the first date data worksheet. See what comes up for you as you answer these or answer these at a later time. There are five of them. The first one is on a first date, I hate it when I feel dot, dot, dot. Two, on a first date, I hope to feel dot, dot, dot. Three, on a first date, I worry most about dot, dot, dot. Four, on a first date, I would enjoy myself more if dot, dot, dot. Five, on a first date, I want to remember that dot, dot, dot. What I like about these five prompts is their reminders that you have quite a bit of power over how the first date goes. 
The way that you show up matters. Yes, you are only one half of the equation, but you are an entire one half of the equation. So all of that attention to your mindset, to your body, is going to help you feel like you've, you know, if you've tended to sort of your side of the street, then when you show up, you really are open and available to see what's possible. And you know that the data you collect on the first date, the way you feel on the first date, is the best data it can possibly be because you've done your part to make sure that you feel as good as you can feel. Okay, fine. So you are calm and you're ready and you're heading out the door. Let's talk about how you can bring relational self-awareness during the first date. And the way you do that is by noticing what direction your attention is going in. And I'm going to posit to you that there are three directions that your attention can move into during the date, and that two of these directions are unhelpful, and one of these directions is helpful. So let's talk them through. Direction number one is the self-critical direction. Sometimes on a first date, your attention may end up feeling like a big old spotlight above your head, a self-critical direction. And this is obviously one of our unhelpful directions where attention goes. This is when you sort of have yourself under a microscope and your thoughts are full of, does this person think that I'm pretty handsome, hot, interesting, engaging enough? Am I asking enough questions? Am I asking too many questions? Do I have spinach in my teeth? This direction, this self-critical direction, reflects anxiety and it amplifies anxiety. And I think that those of us who tend towards that self-critical direction, I want you to explore what's the origin story there. Like, why might you be particularly at risk of becoming self-critical on a first date? Perhaps you grew up in a family of origin where you felt overly responsible for everything and everyone. If that's the case, then you might be more at risk of doing this, right? Like that's just sort of par for the course that you feel your default setting is I'm in charge of how everything goes. And so having your thoughts turn to how am I doing? How am I managing this conversation? Like, am I being too much? Am I being not enough? That's your tendency. I think also if you're somebody who experienced bullying when you were growing up, or if you're somebody who was ostracized socially when you were growing up, you may have a particular tenderness around anticipating other people's criticism, anticipating other people's rejection. And so that may fuel this kind of self-critical tendency. If you run a bit perfectionistic, it's understandable that you anticipate that other people are going to be as hard on you as you are on you. So if you're someone whose attention tends to head in this self-critical direction, you are buying into a limiting belief that dating is about getting somebody else to like you, when in fact, dating is about two people discerning in real time the degree to which they're into each other, the degree to which they are a good fit for each other. It's a back and forth. It's an ebb and a flow. 
But if you're somebody who tends to that towards that self-critical direction, you can only see the arrow going in one direction, which is that the other person holds all the cards and they have the power to decide whether or not they're going to choose me. So that's one of the, that's the first one. The second direction where your attention may tend to go is the sort of, if the first one was called self-critical, I'm going to call this one other critical. This second direction, this other critical direction is when you have a tendency to put your date under a microscope and you spend a lot of time and energy on the date, sort of picking them apart. And I'm going to argue to you, this is another one of our unhelpful directions. Yes, dating is about sizing somebody else up to some degree, but if your attention is pretty solely focused there, that speaks to another attempt to manage anxiety. So what this might look like is focusing on their physical attributes, like one at a time, versus just sort of appreciating them as a whole person. It might look like focusing on how they are talking or moving or sitting versus just being present. It might look like evaluating the things that they are saying versus engaging in the flow of a conversation. The difference between being in it and kind of standing on a platform above it and watching it, right? Like sort of watching that person versus being in the flow of the experience. Having your attention move in this other critical direction certainly reflects that consumer mentality that we are all at risk of bringing into all of our relationships. That idea that our job is just to think, what does this person bring to my life? Or what has this person done for me lately? So I think in part, that other critical direction reflects a consumer mentality. So if you feel like you're somebody who tends to get other critical on a first date, it might very well be a defense against the fear of being judged. It might be you kind of circumventing, you getting ahead of the fear. Like, you can't judge me if I'm judging you first. Understandable. So, so, so understandable. None of us likes feeling judged. And so it may be that you protect yourself by judging them, like focusing your attention on judging them so that you are less aware of a feeling of being judged. It could also be if you come from a family of origin that tends to be gossipy and judgy, especially about outsiders, you may be at risk of having your attention move in that direction on a first date, in part because that's just how you grew up with that judgmental mindset. But also in part, you might be anticipating, even on a first date, how your family would react if they ever met that person. So if you, especially if you're close to your family and they're a judgy family, that's like a double whammy, right? So even that early, even on a first date, you might be judging your date because that's just sort of your family's vibe. You grew up doing it. You do it. You tend towards a bit more judgment, but also because you're thinking, oh boy, what would happen if I ever introduced this person to them? And also it, it may be that if you grew up in a family of origin, where there was a lot of criticism and hostility, you might tend towards this other critical direction. You might have survived that climate by having your defenses ready. 
having your guard up, being ready to cut and run. This may be your other criticism, may be a reflection of a survival strategy that served you well when you were growing up, but that is not necessary for you today. It's not necessary for you to bring to your dating life. If you find yourself tending towards this other critical direction, you're buying into a limiting belief here that dating is about you hanging back in assessing the degree to which someone checks your boxes, when in fact, dating is about each of you feeling your way into the goodness of fit. Like I was saying before, dating is an arrow that goes in both directions. So I'm not here for you beating yourself up if you are noticing that your attention goes in either that self-critical direction or that other critical direction. I just want you to start to pay attention to where your attention (laughs) tends to go on a first date. Do you tend to get really focused on yourself? Do you tend to get really focused on on the other person? Because if your attention gets locked in either of those places, you are robbing yourself of the opportunity for your attention to go in this third direction. And this third direction is a relational direction. It's really helpful on a first date to direct your attention in a relational way. What does that mean? Rather than focusing on you, rather than focusing on them, direct your attention to the space between you and your partner. This might feel funky at first. It might take a little bit of practice, a little bit of trial and error. But I want you to see if you can feel your way into the vibe itself, (laughs) the energy itself. Can you feel the ebb and flow of the conversation? What do you notice about the energy between the two of you? It's a between. Rather than a me, rather than a you, it's a between. I'm inviting and challenging you to put your attention, put your focus in between the two of you. So how does this energy between the two of you feel? How would you describe it? Is there a color? Is there a sound? Is there a shape? Is there a word? Because the space between the two of you is where the magic is going to happen. And I don't mean magic like lightning bolts or fireworks necessarily, but the magic that happens when two people go from strangers to something more, the magic of a budding connection. And if you can, even just for little windows of the date, put your attention there, it's going to create more ease. It's going to soothe your anxiety because you are reminding yourself that your job is neither to be perfect nor to be a perfect judge of the other person. Your job is just to show up and co-create something with another person. That's your job. So if you can put your attention there in this third direction, this relational direction, I think you also are going to come away with a clearer sense of whether you want to pursue and try again and go for a second date or whether you're good. 
And that's what, I think that's what our listener who is sharing her feedback from using this first date data worksheet, I think that's what she was tapping into. There wasn't really much energy between the two of them. She couldn't tap into a lot of energy in the back and forth. And she found that really helpful. Okay, so next steps. So how can you do that? How can you put your attention in that between space, that relational space? You can do that with mindfulness practices. You can bring little micro mindfulness practices with you on your first date. So focus on the tea that you're sipping, if you're sipping tea, right? Like like the taste of the tea, the temperature of the tea. Focus on the food that you're eating. Really like mindfully attend to the bites. Notice the music playing in the background. Feel your feet on the ground. Take some nice, cleansing, deep breaths. You could even excuse yourself and head to the restroom. Stretch your arms way up. Shake your arms out. Open your jaw really wide. And then come back into your body. And then return to the table and try again. Try to find that mindful, relational space. The more that you can hang out in that relational space, the more you're going to go home with a felt sense of the quality of connection. If you spend all or most of your time in that self-critical place, you're going to go home and feel disempowered, like all you can do is wait for the verdict. If you spend all or most of your time in that other critical place, you're going to go home and feel discouraged that this person did not live up to your standards. And again, I would never, ever tell you not to have standards. Of course, of course, of course. I just want you to hold something a little bit more nuanced and gray than just this idea that your sole job is to show up and see if this person meets your standards. I think there's something else you need to do, which is participate in the vibe. So if you can spend all or most or even some of your time in that relational place, then you're going to go home and just sit with the quality of the connection. So let's talk about how to do that. Let's talk about now what to do after the first date. When you get home from your first date, I want you to practice what I call the solo saver. Before you process the experience of your first date with your roommate, with your best friend, with your relative, with your therapist, (laughs) I want you to let the experience settle a little bit. Why? Because what's most important is how you feel about that date. Your friends and family are likely, hopefully, wonderful sounding boards, but the people you talk to about your date are going to filter the observations, the data, the stories through the lens of their own preferences, through the lens of their own sensitivities, through the lens of their own cultural conditioning, through the lens of their own beliefs. Their reactions to your experiences are not capital T truth. Their reactions to your experiences say a lot about who they are as people, how they've been socialized, what they fear, which doesn't, it's not wrong. It just means that if your own experience of the first date gets muddied by their perceptions, then you are robbing yourself of the opportunity for dating to be a crucible, a gateway towards deeper self-trust. And yes, 
dating is ultimately about finding partnership, but dating is also a means towards deeper self-knowledge, self-trust, self-clarity. So if you are waiting on other people to tell you how you feel about your date, you're missing out on that opportunity. So I want you to process on your own, even just a little bit first, so that you can get clear on what you want as a next step. And there's a lot to process. So again, this is a really helpful place to have the worksheet. If you want the worksheet, subscribe to the newsletter and you will receive it in your inbox. That newsletter subscription link is dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe. It's linked in the show notes. And this is a part, it's literally a table that we created for you to fill in when you get home. And I'm gonna talk you through what that table looks like. So you'll see that it has three columns. And the first column is the data itself. The second column is for your observations. And the third column is the story that you tell yourself about that observation. And this is really important. So for example, I want you to reflect on your thoughts. What were the thoughts that you had on this first date? So you write down your observations. What were some of the thoughts that you were having? And then I want you to write down the story that you are telling yourself about those thoughts. Because there's a, there's a little step that we take, a meaning-making step, that I just want you to notice how you do that. If I was thinking, I'm tired, the story I was telling myself is, this person's not entertaining enough, or I'm terrible at dating. Like, Just notice what you do. Because then, A, you become more self-aware of your own meaning-making process, and B, you then give yourself a little bit of wiggle room because the observation itself, I felt tired on the date, does not necessarily have to mean anything in particular. The observation is just the observation. The data is just the data. You can let it just kind of sit there without necessarily making meaning of it. So the things I want you to be reflecting on, there's seven of them. One, your thoughts. Two, your emotions. Three, your bodily sensations. Four, your date's appearance. Five, your date's words, the things they were saying. Six, your date's behavior. And seven, the space between the two of you. So for each of those seven things, your thoughts, your emotions, your bodily sensations, their appearance, their words, their behavior, and the space between the two of you, for each of those seven, you're going to write down the raw data, (laughs) your raw observations, and then you're going to be intentional about the meaning that you made out of each of those. What was the meaning you made out of their behavior? Like, what did you observe about their behavior? And what's the meaning you made about their behavior, for example? So again, doing the work, doing the solo saver in this way, being really mindful and intentional about how you process the first date is going to help you learn a lot 
about yourself, where you tend to go, how you make meaning so quickly without even noticing it. You kind of come to these conclusions very quickly. It just is a way of slowing yourself down and starting to notice what happens inside of you, how you date, learning about yourself through observing how you date and how you make sense of your experiences. This does not have to take forever. You could come home and spend 15 minutes doing this. That's it. And you don't have to do it every time you go on a first date. This is yours to play with and experience. But as you can tell by my voice, I'm pretty fired up and passionate about you giving yourself permission and intentionality around slowing down and using first date experiences as learning opportunities. Okay, so try it, grab the worksheet, give it a try. Of course, let me know because you know how I feel about feedback. I would love to know how this process serves you, what it does for you, how helpful or unhelpful you find it. Before I let you go, I want to wrap up this episode by sharing a little bit of Instagram data with you. When I was preparing for this early dating series, my team and I posted a few stickers in my story. So I wanted to share the findings to give you a sense of how other people are doing, how other people are doing on their journeys and a little bit about their perspectives. You know that I like to share this stuff because it just offers some validation and normalizing. Okay, so we asked, do you wear the same outfit on all your first dates or do you change it up? You know, really a a high stakes question here. But a full 36% of people who responded said they wear the same outfit. They kind of figured out what works for them on a first date and they just keep it going. And 64% say they switch it up. We also asked if you prefer an activity-based date or a dinner slash drink slash coffee type of date. And 29% prefer an activity-based first date and 71% prefer dinner, drinks, coffee. We then asked three open-ended questions. One, what is one word to describe how you want to feel on a first date? And people said things like, I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel intrigued. I want to feel curious. And I want to feel hopeful. Those are the big themes. We asked, what is your biggest fear on a first date? And here's some of what people shared. My biggest fear is being authentic. My biggest fear is awkwardness of me or of the other person, of conversations not flowing, of feeling stuck, a fear of oversharing, a fear that is equal parts, what if I don't like them? And what if they don't like me? A fear of personal safety. And someone said a fear of food in my teeth. All right. And then the last one was, what is an intention that you try to set for a first date? And they people said things like, to enjoy meeting someone new and to keep it light. To listen. To be myself. To be authentic. To be open. To be in the moment. I love all that. Well, there you go. We are at the end of our three-part dating series. Part one, why you're frustrated with dating apps. Part two, 12 strategies for swiping with relational self-awareness. And then today, all about bringing relational self-awareness to a first date. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope this whole series has helped you feel supported and resourced and empowered. So finally, if you want a copy of the First Date Data Worksheet, dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe. It's also one of the many, many resources that you will get in the downloadable workbook, the Reimagining Love Workbook, Volume 1, dralexandrasolomon.com slash RL Workbook to grab your copy of the brand new workbook. And I will see you next week for a wonderful guest expert conversation. And until then, take good care of yourself. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Katie Pagich of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love, 